I wanted to start out though. So we're going to be looking at the "He descended into hell" clause of the creed. Um, as Paul mentioned last week, this is a this is a part of the creed that is not well agreed upon. Uh, there are very there there are lots of opinions about what it could mean, about what it does mean, and yeah, come on through. Uh, so we're going to look at that now. I want to take an opportunity up front, though, because it brought up something else last week that we touched on briefly, which is words have meanings. And one of my great frustrations um, with the Reformed tradition particularly is that we will look at some words and we will read them and then we will give that we will assign them a meaning that we like better than the meaning of what the words actually say so uh, paul and i take some exceptions to the westminster confession of faith basically because we read the words on the page and the words on the page say something and then they say yes and this is what that means and nobody reading those words would say that's what those words mean but we have to give them those words because if we took them at face value they don't say what we want them to say so I am a big believer in taking words how they are meant to be interpreted. He used the example last week about um, uh, the Supreme Court and our originalism and textualism. Am I saying those right? Um, so this morning I wanted to give you a couple of views of how this, uh, how this clause of the creed has historically been viewed. So who has, can I forgot to write down the question, the Question, is it question 44 in the... Yeah. Who has question 44? Would, would someone read the question and the answer to that? Why is it added he descended into hell? That in my greatest temptations I may be assured that Christ my Lord, by his inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors, which he suffered in his soul on the cross and before, has redeemed me from the anguish and torment of hell. So I have taught this to our children, uh, not children, young adults, young teens, tweens. Uh, I've taught this already to them, and I actually got to ask a bunch of them what they remembered from this class, and thankfully they remembered nothing. So <laughs> I am teaching this to them again as if they have never heard any of this. But when we read this in class, I asked the children, what does that mean? Does that answer the question, he descended into hell? Does the answer to that question answer what it means they're shaking their head no no it does not i don't think that's a very satisfactory answer to what it means that he descended into hell it is true and it is right i think it misses the mark y'all may disagree with that this is this can be open but there are plenty of different interpretations i think it misses the mark uh casper and i'm gonna get his name wrong olivenate olivenus olivenus olivianus rely on Jake to know <laughs> obscure names from the historical record. Olivianus. Uh, he co-authored the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, and then 13 years before, I'm sorry, 13 years later, I think he did an exposition on the Apostles' Creed. So this is in 1576. And he, this, I'm just going to read his quote. He said, this is what he says about the descends into hell. Not only the pains of death, but also his utter disgrace, the seeming victory of those pains, while he was held down in the grave until the third day, lying, as it were, under the oppression of death. Okay? So he actually takes a slightly different view. He just says it's just him lying in the grave in utter disgrace for three days, and he's risen from the grave. 
The Westminster Larger Catechism explains the descent into hell to mean that after Christ was buried, he continued in the state of the dead and under the power of death until the third day, which he hath otherwise expressed in these words, he descended into hell. I think that's true, and I also don't think it's very helpful in answering what that is about. Um, so we all know that Jesus died, but what happened after he died? What happened to his body, and what happened to his soul? So I want to consider what death is. What is death? The end of life. End of life. Separation of, say that again. Separation of body and spirit. What else? Andrew. Wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. Uh, who has Ephesians 2, 1 through 2? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of so to walk in sin is what? Death. And what is death? Separation from God. All right, so separation, there's the idea of separation. Ultimately, it's our separation from God. What happened in the Garden of Eden? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Death. Death is the wages of sin. That's what we are born into. All of us, death. Death is separation ultimately from God. But it's, it's more than that, right? Death is more than that. Um, who has Psalm 1610? Oh. For you will not abandon my soul, soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. So this passage directs us to what is the normal course of behavior. Read it again. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, I'm sure a lot of us have in our mind here that that is talking about somebody, a particular somebody. But what we can also infer from that is that uh, the normal course of action is that your soul goes to Sheol and your body does decay, right? Does decay. So there's a separation of body and soul. Yes. Great question. I, I, fun fact about me is I can't pronounce things. Um, I was homeschooled, and I grew up in a family that pronounced things various ways, and I just go with how I get felt in the, in the moment. And so I might pronounce it sheol or sheol, depending on when you hear me say it. So you get to choose. I don't know. Is, that, is, there, is there a right way? They're both fine. They're both fine. There we go. <laughs> I want to pause there for a second and think about that. We talked about Jesus's, um, was it last week we talked about his divinity and his humanity? The dual natures of Christ? Okay. Um, I had never really thought about this before, right? We, we think about Christ and his humanity, what that means to be human. And so we understand, okay, humans die, so he died. But what does it mean then? What does it mean after he died? We get the death and we get the resurrection, Right? 
he died and he was raised again. But what happens in between that time, I never really gave much thought to it. I don't think any of us have really given much thought to it. Who has Acts 2, 29 through 31? So normally, we, your soul is abandoned to Hades, your soul sees corruption. All right, in fact, I skipped ahead there. So what is this Sheol that we keep reading about? Um, who has Genesis thirty-seven, thirty-five? And that's the account of Jacob weeping for, not Jacob, Joseph, right? Yes. Joseph. Psalm 31.17. Who is Psalm 31.17? I do. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. All right. The two things I want you to see here is that it, Sheol is not just a place for the wicked, but also for the righteous. The wicked and the righteous both go to Sheol. According, the scripture says they both go down to Sheol. So we have examples in scripture. We just read one of each. There are more, more examples. If you ever want to go read all the places in the Bible where it talks about Sheol, there's multiple places where it is. But it is a place where the righteous seem to go and the unrighteous seem to go. That's kind of weird, right? Like that's not exactly how we and our modern interpretation of scripture, our modern understanding, uh, think about things. So we're going to spend some time, the next few minutes, working on what is Sheol, all right? We've got a pen out here, and y'all can make fun of my handwriting. That's, well, that's because I admit to my bad pronunciation. Um, all right, what is Sheol? Who has numbers 16, 30 through 33? they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have, um, I'm sorry, I'm having a rough time. You're fine. Speaks the Lord. And as soon as we, and as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up, with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah, and all their goods. So... So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. So that's the story of Achan and his family. If you remember Achan and his family, uh, they have now conquered Jericho, and they were told not to take anything from Jericho. And he took a cloak and some gold or I don't know some stuff that he was not supposed to take, and he gets found out, and his entire family, everybody is swallowed up. So based on this passage, where would you say Sheol is located? Down. Down. We're going to call it under the earth. All right. Who's got Isaiah 38.10? 
I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. City with gates. We okay with that? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Job seventeen sixteen. Will we go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the Gates and bars. Who has Isaiah 14, 9? Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. No treader treads out wine in the press. Oh, wait, hang on. Sorry. Skip a verse. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones. All who were kings of the nations. All right, and 26, Isaiah 26, 14. Did I give that one out? They are dead, they will not live. They are shaved, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. It's a land of darkness, and it uses this term shades. I think that's a description for the souls of men, like the unembodied uh, uh, souls. Who has Psalm 88? And I think I gave you more than what I wanted. So is that you, Matt? Yeah. Are you just going to stop me? No, I I, I gave you more than what's on my sheet here. I can't remember what I gave you, though. There you go. All right. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So I wanted to get to the land of forgetfulness, but I also wanted to show that its description at Sheol. Also, bonus points for those who are paying attention in Paul's Psalms lessons. What is significant about Psalm 88? It's the death. No good, no ending, no happy ending. Noah read it. That's what I remember. <laughs> uh, yes, no happy ending. It's, it's the, the one psalm there is, pardon? No hope. It's the land of forgetfulness. Um, uh, Ecclesiastes 
no work, no wisdom happens in Sheol, or no wisdom exists in Sheol. Who has Psalm 6 5? I think most significantly, no one praises God. What do you all think about that? That's my list of Sheol. That's my description of Sheol from the scriptures. Well, there's, so, yes. So the righteous and the wicked go to Sheol. Is there, um, well, hold on. We're going to get to that. Let's just hold there for a second. Um, All right. Most of those, all of those, all of those were Old Testament descriptions of Sheol. Um, The most extended depiction of the afterlife we have in the New Testament is in Luke. And I gave that long passage to somebody. Kate wanted that long passage. That's right. So would you read Luke 16, 19-31? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to me, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be condemned if someone should rise from the dead. All right. So now we get a little more. The picture becomes a little clearer here because what it's describing now is that there's two sides to shale. There's two compartments. Uh, for those children in the room who've studied Greek mythology, what, what would those be like in Greek mythology? Uh, Elysium. Fields of Elysium and the realm of Hades. And the realm of Hades is, what is Hades? Is Hades a person or a place? Yes, good job, good job. It's a, pl- it's a person and a place. Hades was the Greek god of the underworld, and his realm was also named Hades. So when we read these depictions here, doesn't it kind of eerily feel similar to what is described in Greek mythology as Hades, right? 
Um, but now we have a picture in the New Testament of uh, Lazarus being taken to Abraham's bosom, right? Which, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means, but it's, uh, it's apparently good. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> you got to take scripture's word for it on that. Um, Paul and I have been in trouble in the past for saying the word. So, yeah, it's got the giggles there. All right. So we have these two compartments. We have two, two different places. So we read this description, back to your point, Andrew, about this doesn't sound right. If the righteous and the unrighteous are going to the same place, why, how is that possible? Well, it's possible if we have two separate realms, as it were, but they're both shale. And it would also make sense that in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament saints would not have a super clear picture of what Sheol is, except for that's where we're going, and it's down, right? We're okay with that. But, not, go ahead. Well, but if it says that Jesus also went there, right, um, or at least to hell, <laughs> as one of the saints, then there's no one more righteous than Jesus, and how is he not? We're going to get there, fam. We're going to get there. A uh, quick question. Sure. Not, I don't think I'm fine. Um, it seemed like all the depictions, nobody wanted to go to shale. Just that there's two sides. Uh, maybe I missed one of the readings, but I didn't hear a reading where anyone seemed particularly excited to be headed to shale. Like, they're all, they all seem like mournings and laments. Even like Hezekiah, who's the speaker in the Isaiah passage, is like people who we need to... Yeah, and I'm open to someone else jumping in here. My, my thought on that is we see through a, a, a glass dimly. Like, it's, it's, it, there, death was bad. Like, death is bad. Like, none of us are longing for death. So, like, when we are getting close to death, like, we have this idea that we are going to go down in to shape. Like, we're going to be put in the ground. It's different for Christians in the, new te- in the church age, which we're going to come to, um, but then, my 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 suspicion is is that that was they didn't. Know, I mean, I was thinking about this. We have people who say they go to heaven, <laughs> they die, they go to heaven, they come back and they write a book about it, and they tell. Like, I'm not aware of any extra biblical writings where someone actually died and said they went to Sheol and came back and wrote about it, and nobody today actually says, "Hey, I died, I went to hell, and let me go tell you all about it." Like, no, like that book didn't sell. Um, so I, I just wonder how much they knew about Sheol and what it was at, at that point. And Sheol, go ahead. I, I think there's two things there. One is the point you're making, which is the progressive revelation we've talked about over the last several weeks. Of just they could not, they did not have as much clarity from God. The second is, I think, a key word in the psalm that you started us out with was, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. The, the underlying fear or insecurity is that one would be eternally in shale, that one would be abandoned by God there, not simply that one would go there. I think that's a great distinction because that's going to come up a little bit later. Um, what else? Other questions so far? Who's ready to go to shale? No? 
side. The good side. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I mean, the, the good side. That I, I'm not. I'm unfamiliar with any other description of shale other than what we just read. So, like, we don't know much about what that is. I think we're gonna. It, it, it may become a little clearer uh, before we're done, but maybe not. So, where did Jesus go when he died? Based on Jesus' words to the thief on the cross, did I give somebody Luke 23, 43? Oh, yeah, Olivia. Today you will be with me in paradise. Many people throughout the ages have interpreted those words as saying the thief and Jesus are going to be with God in paradise that day. Right, so and, and that has led people to make the interpretation that this descended into hell cannot possibly be right, because Jesus says you will be with me today in paradise. Well, that's on Friday. We have sat like that doesn't that doesn't work. But he doesn't say you will be with me with God in heaven. He says you'll be with me in paradise. Um, and. The way I interpret that is, is that he will be in Sheol. He will be in Abraham's bosom. They will be together there. Because my understanding of this, um, and I, I didn't come to this on my own, um, uh, Joe Rigney, who has written Things of Earth, uh, was very influential in my thinking on this as I was studying and reading this. So a lot of this is coming from him, not from me. But um, is that that's where Jesus goes. So Jesus journeys down to, not hell, but Hades, all right? Journeys down to Hades, to the city of death. And here, city with gates and bars, rips the gates off its hinges. And then he liberates Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, John the Baptist, all of the saints, all of the, the... the righteous who have died pre-Christ, going die, dying his perfect death, goes and liberates them. Um, who has Psalm eighty-nine forty-eight? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? He's ransoming them. He's delivering them from the power of Sheol. He dies his death. He goes down to Sheol, and he liberates the. Old Testament saints from the power of Sheol. They had waited there for so long. They had not received what was promised. What, is, what was promised to them? It wasn't Sheol. <laughs> rest. Rest. Um, who's got Hebrews eleven thirty-eight and uh, 39 through 40? They had not received what was promised to them. Everyone who died in the Old Testament, who was righteous, who longed to be with Christ, who longed to see the Messiah, did not receive what they were promised. Why? Because they went to Sheol. They did not go to the land of forgetfulness. They went to Abraham's bosom. But that's still not what they were promised. Why would Christ call it paradise? 
called where he's going paradise because it's not a it's not a place that is unple- unpleasant. Paul has a thought. Well, that mean, this, is, means. this is where it gets really tough, right? Because you can take some different views on this. Mm-hmm. Is that where Jesus lingered for three days prior to the resurrection? Or did he go descend into hell, descend into Sheol, to liberate the captives and take them to the fulfillment of their promise? Like, we don't know the timing of it. We, 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 the scripture just doesn't give us that much. And, you know, as helpful as the Lazarus parable is, the Lazarus parable isn't about Abraham's book. Like, that's not the point of the parable. It's an accessory to the parable. And so we just, I, just, I don't think we know. I think this is the best uh, description of what we do know. And then we really get to points where, like, no, God just hasn't told us. Yeah, if you want to- total and complete satisfaction after this lesson, I cannot give you that because saints throughout the ages have not received that. But you can say that what the saints on the Abraham's bosom side of Sheol were experiencing was good. Yep. But it's not the fullness of good. Yep. And you do see that a little bit in the parable just by the fact that the poor man has awareness of the suffering and the hardships that others are receiving, which... You know, in, in the in the new heavens and new earth, there, there's no weeping, there's no awareness of that. What? One second. And, and this is not as bad as what these folks are going to be experiencing eternally, right? Neither place is as good or as bad as it is going to be for all eternity. Correct. Yes, Jace. We've been using hell and shield both interchangeably and also separating the two. Mm-hmm. So are they interchangeable or are they separate? Uh, so I believe that the what what we sh- so yes yes <laughs> yes the right answer, yes. Hey, 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 yes and and but I I think the distinction that would be more helpful and some folks have decided to do is to use Hades instead of hell in the creed. I think that is a more helpful description because somewhere along the way we started meaning hell as in the eternal hell, the eternal lake of fire, which is not the meaning that we want to convey in in today's terms. So I find the term Hades more appropriate. However, some speculate that uh, the same same way that um, Hades in Greek mythology symbolizes the underworld, there, there's hell, H-E-L, is the Norse goddess of the underworld. So there was also, there's, there's concepts where hell could also have that connotation. We just don't think of that as the connotation. So why is Sheol never used in the creed? Why is it always hell or Hades? Ah, we're getting there. Because, well, we're, 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 there, we're there now. <laughs> <laughs> if Christ... <laughs> Shale. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you start looking at all these different things, you could squint and say, sure, but per, per- the concept of an intermediate state, yeah. which is Hades, is the foundation for purgatory, and then they need purgatory 
to make sense of a bunch of extra biblical practices that they've got to make sense of. There's also the piece of the puzzle that we're talking about finite time, and they're in infinite time. They're not on our time. So the time is different. Say For how long so they're in Haiti? Like yeah. when he said today? Like when he says today you'll be in the yeah. paradise? Yeah, but Jesus is saying that on earth as a 100% yeah. human to a 100% human. This happened in time. This happened. That that happened in history. So if Jesus took the righteous, presumably up to a greater paradise, did he also put the unrighteous in a worse or left them? Left them there. Okay. Correct. So he li- he rips the gates and bar rips the gates off its hinges, liberates the righteous, takes them to be in what we would say now is heaven. So the, in the church age now, where we live, we don't go down to Sheol. We would not be accurate to say we are going to go to Sheol. We would say we are going to be with Christ, which is better, which is gain, because Christ has liberated them. He's taken them, again, not to the ultimate new heavens and new earth, but to be with God. And the which ultimate is, is after the second coming or after the day of judgment or after what? Yes. Wait, say that again. The second judgment of Revelation. Oh yeah, are we get, you're asking, are we going to get there? Yeah, we're 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 very quickly getting there. Um, pardon. So in the creed, how I understood it, which I'm sure not Protestant, when it said he descended to hell on the third day he rose again from the dead, was always that he descended to hell as a human because he was crucified, dead, buried, and death. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, which death would be hell? And but then he rose from the death, which was hell, and descended into heaven. So, it already says he died. Right. Yeah. Buried. And but the, into hell. And what is hell? What are you saying? Hell means there? Well, death. Right. But death he, in, So he died and then died. Yeah. Why would we confess he died and then say he really died? <laughs> yeah, but death is a separate, is really, we don't have death, right? The second coming, that we, we're not dead, we have eternity. Well, we're going to die. Well, yes, but not be in hell. We're not going to be, we're not, not be separated. We, our soul will be separated from our bodies. Right. And his so what what this is what this is driving at is his soul. What we think about as death is like our body dies. We very rarely think about the soulish part of that. So in his humanity, for him to be fully human, his human body has to go into the grave, and his soul has to go somewhere. His human soul has to go somewhere, and where is that? Is what we're talking about, and so it. It's not just talking about death, and it's not just talking about extreme. It's not talking about extreme and excruciating suffering of Christ on the cross. That's not the description of hell. There, we're we're saying hell is a description of Sheol, and this is what he has gone to do to liberate the righteous who have been down there to finally bring them into the presence of God. Basically, who has Revelation twenty thirteen through fifteen? sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if 
anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All right, so everybody heard that? Hades, death and Hades gives up their dead, and then they're judged again, and then they're thrown into the lake of fire. That's when it becomes way worse for everyone who's in the land. Because anyone who's left there, Jesus hasn't taken. Correct. And this is going to tie in really importantly to the question we dig into next week, which was the second question that got asked last week. Of, uh, I think it was Kathy's. They say, what, what, what does, how does all of this play out in our history in terms of judgment, second coming, and all those things? And so you've really got to hear in these passages how many of the descriptions of things in Revelation have already happened in Christ. How, how much there, there's yet to come. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. But, but hear in that passage very carefully what that judgment is and is not. Because there is a judgment that has already been. There is a freeing of the captives that has already been. There is a death that has already been. And, and so it's really important that we hear when we tend to think about end times, we bring in a lot of Old Testament prophecy. But you've got to read it through the filter of the New Testament that tells you just how much of this has already been accomplished. Otherwise, you end up with really crazy charts. Crazy charts. Um, nobody, nobody's allowed to reach any final state unless they encounter Christ. Yeah. So they're kind of held there. These, these Old Testament saints who have faith in God that they've never seen then they're exposed to the face of Christ and likewise those who've rejected the Father who haven't really seen him get to see him in full and see what they're rejecting or see what they're believing yeah you, you get a teeny tiny picture of that in John the Baptist's encounter of Christ the last Old Testament prophet beholds the face of Christ and says that's him that's the one I was hoping in. That's the one I was waiting for. That's the one God promised. And so you can imagine when Jesus goes down to free the captives, they had exactly that moment. Moses looks on the face of Christ and says, that's the one. Is there any significance behind the three days? Like, why? You know, in my mind, I'm like, can you do this faster? Like, is, is there, you know, is, is there, like, am I? Yeah. Yes. Somebody... Austin, correct me if I'm because I'm foggy on the details. There was a Hebrew practice from Old Testament law having to do with dead bodies that was on the third day, the body is unclean, and in this like in Monty Python of, or uh, Princess Bride, he's not mostly dead anymore. Yeah, that, okay. He's really dead. Yeah. 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 And so the purpose of the three days was that Jesus crossed over the mostly dead into dead days. And no one can say, oh, he was just, he was just. And they still said that, but they couldn't be reasonable. Did we answer Hannah's question? Like, did, did, no. what, what was your question? <laughs> Why don't we use Sheol instead of Hades or hell when referring to the Greek? Like, in, in oh, well, I, I, think, I think the hell did mean something. It meant Hades. Right. We just don't mean it that way now. Why don't we rewrite so, it? Yeah, because our hymnals printed. <laughs> Seriously, that's the yeah. honest answer. And, and sometimes we look at those and we wish somebody had had the courage to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. M
don't tell an eye to the meat they eat. Yeah. Yes, or even if R said Hades, but I think R says hell. Mm-hmm. We would and it's lowercase H hell, hell, which is yeah. trying to say Hades, yeah. trying to say Sheol. Like, it's I not the eternal just, hell, yeah. like lowercase hell. Exactly. It's the pre. And there's something to be said with, um, as language changes over time, do you want to make all of those changes, or do you want to just teach, this is what we're saying, this is what it means? I mean, a lot of people have a challenge with the fact that the creed says, I believe in the Catholic Church. And we have to say, no, that's lowercase c Catholic. It means universal. It means or do we want to rewrite it? Well, if you rewrite it, which you can do, you're taking away the, the common language of the church for some period of hundreds and thousands of years. And it's just, it's pros and cons, I think. Yeah, there is something to be said for that. But what you have to remember is this view, to my knowledge, is not a common, like what I, what I have just espoused to you all today is not a common view. It is a more common view to say uh, descended into hell is him experiencing the full wrath of God on the cross and his experience of God, of, of you know, a sinful world before his time on the cross. Like it, it, it's all kinds of what I would term mental gymnastics to figure out a way to make this not wrong and fit into some paradigm. This, to me, is the best paradigm I have ever read that explains this in a way that I think makes a lot of sense and that is supported by scripture. We read a lot of scripture this morning. So you could argue with this and say, I, you know, you quibble with some of these points. I, I have no problem with that. But if you're trying to make sense of why this is in the creed and why we say it as a church, why as a session we've decided we're going to say it, that's why. Um, and the continuity thing is another big piece of why we believe that we should say it and why I don't think it's a huge problem to say hell instead of Hades. I know what I'm saying when I'm saying hell. I know I'm not talking about the eternal lake of fire. Like, I, I get it. And Christians throughout the ages have said hell. And they probably meant the same thing that I know it means, maybe, if they held my view. Um, so back to Matt saying, so the only reason that the three days in there is because of Jewish tradition? That's just... Well, no. I mean, pro- there's prophecy, right? Ceremonial law. I would say ceremonial law being fulfilled more than Jewish tradition. Okay. And prophecy plays in that, too. I mean, we have um, Jonah talking about being three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, going, actually going down to Sheol. I think it says that in Chapter 2. It talks about him going down to Sheol, which is a great picture of what Christ will ultimately do, going down to Sheol and liberating the captives being the greater Jonah. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's good that you that you mentioned kind of the, the different views out there because I think I was taught last semester that Calvin's view was the one that you talked about, where it's just kind of the um, hell is the you know rejection of Christ, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I, I bring that up because oftentimes, kind of in the Reformed world, it's like okay, Calvin is your God, right? But like that's not the case, and it's important to, I'm glad you actually said that, because Reformed people, Bible-believing Christians can have different takes on this, like, I'm probably on Calvin's, like, right now, I'm probably more on Calvin's team, but it's like, you know, it's just a helpful reminder. You and Calvin can both be wrong, it's fine. (laughs) 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 
what what you, hold on one second. I just want to do you know anybody who says that? Who says what? I just want to yeah. I just want to ask. Do you know anyone who says Calvin is right about everything? Not in the reform camp when saying people outside of the reform they camp. They think that's they what they think that's yeah. what yeah. Yeah. sorry, I wasn't clear about that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. I want to beat that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, sorry. I mean, this helps with the Peter passage. I'm assuming you're, uh, where he goes down and he preaches to the captives. Does that fit into your narrative of he's going out to tear the gates off? Uh, when he goes down and preaches to the captives who are hell, is that I, kind of one of those tough passages? It's a tough, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hoping nobody would bring it up, Jake. <laughs> I am less certain and confident about uh, that what that passage means. Um, I feel more comfortable with what I've just espoused to you, not saying I'm right, but that I, I feel more comfortable with that. I'm not entirely sure. I think that it could fit into this paradigm well, but I've it's been a long time since I read anything on the different interpretations of that passage. Um, and my remembrance is, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of people who I respect who have very different conclusions about that passage. Yes. So for the second judgment, functionally, would it be like an equal and opposite event to the gates being taken, with the the righteous being taken out? It would be the unrighteous now moving to the lake of fire, and then those who are in heaven would be putting new heaven new earth. Um. They are going to be freed from Sheol, for lack of a better term, because it seems like they're going to, everyone at the end of time is going to be reunited soul, soul with body and then be judged. So I don't know what that. But the judgment would still be the same as to where you went originally, wouldn't it? Say, say more. It can't be changed. It can't be changed. Oh, correct, 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 yes. Um, and that's where going to the Peter passage, I think some people interpret that passage as saying Christ went down and preached conversion, like, you know, the gospel to them. And, and they had a second chance at salvation down there. I am not in that interpretive camp 